Good morning. I have to wear the glasses because I'm getting old. So I want to introduce myself first before we start talking about this passage. And I would ask you to pay attention because some of it will become relevant later. And there's going to be a test. <laughs> I was born many moons ago from a state that feels about as special about itself as Texas does. West by God, Virginia. <laughs> now, West Virginia was born right smack dab in the middle of the Civil War. And to this, you are right, and to this day, <laughs> West Virginians consider themselves to be mighty independent. And they feel they have a God-given right to have a shotgun near them to protect themselves. Instead of gas, we have coal as a natural resource. And many people in West Virginia earn their living from that. So you can see that I feel somewhat of an affinity with Texas. I grew up in an American Baptist church. That was great. In fact, it was wonderful. It's a wonderful place to grow up. Until I realized that they did not quite accept my queerness. And that was in my teen years when I was beginning all the self-identification process that people go through. I then joined up with the social justice arm of the Catholic Church in my university community called the Newman Center. That was great too, until I ran into the same problem that I had with the American Baptist Church. And so I floated around for quite a few years. Does that sound familiar story to anyone out there? When I got out of college, I even tried to enter seminary because I felt I truly had a call ever since summer camp when I was in junior high school. I was told I needed the endorsement of a faith group, and there I was stumped. I had run out of a faith group to which I could belong. And so I thought I had had that door shut for me forever. So. What does every bright, young college student who doesn't get to go to seminary do? They go to law school. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. And I practiced law for a very long time. I was a JAG officer in the Navy. Navy. Hoorah! <laughs> All right. I knew I had some affinity here. Um, yes, I was a JAG officer. For those of you who watch the show, I will answer before you ask, no, I never flew any F-18s. I never even got to fly in one. 
I then practiced when I got out of the Navy. I was in San Diego, and I practiced in the area of child abuse and neglect. And I got to see when things go wrong, the bad things that people can do to other people, especially children. And that was first in San Diego and then in Washington, D.C. I came back east to be closer to my parents in 1999, and I stumbled upon an MCC church in Northern Virginia, where I also happened to stumble upon my life partner, Andrea Ferguson. I didn't really stumble upon her, but she was dating somebody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> you also heard her preach a few weeks ago, so she's calmed down a little bit since then. I love you, baby. <laughs> I truly felt at MCC that I had found my home, that I felt supported, I felt loved, and I have been with MCC ever since. Before I went to seminary, we ended up moving back to Say it with me, West by God, Virginia. Excellent. To help care for my parents through their last years of their lives. That's all I'm going to say about that at this time. More to come later. Let us pray. God, we are here asking the question that we have been secretly thinking for three weeks now. What kind of bread is this? Now, I know Reverend Kristen has been trying to enlighten us, but God, sometimes we are pig-headed and cannot quite understand what it is you are trying to say to us. So please, God, we are asking you to open our ears, to open our eyes, and to open our hearts so that we may truly understand. And let it be your words that we hear today. And the people say, amen. Thank you for the group participation. That's welcome. Now, as I said, I was and am a lawyer in addition to someone who has been to seminary and is seeking ordination with MCC. In fact, I want you to know that I wore my lawyer tie today for you and just to let you know what kind of a lawyer I am. My tie is, I'm gonna describe it for you because I know you can't see it. But my tie is a fairly conservative tie as far as it goes. It's got uh, very lawyerly things on it. 
It's got an ink pen. It's got ink wells. It's got pocket watches. All those things you can connect with lawyers, right? Well, and then in the middle of the pocket watches is Mickey Mouse. And I, I wore this to court. I wore it to meetings. I wore it to, med to um, mediation sessions just to remind myself not to take myself too seriously, not to think of myself as some high and mighty lawyer who could move mountains, because I knew that was the furthest thing from the truth. And so I wear it for you today to remind myself my humble beginnings with Mickey Mouse. As I said, I've been a lawyer longer than I have been following my call to be clergy. So, it should not come to anyone's surprise that I can empathize with the people listening to Jesus as he is speaking in today's text. We begin this week with the same passage we ended with last week. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But then someone dares to say, and I bet it was one of those pesky lawyers from that day, Wait a minute. This is Jesus. You know, the guy we grew up with. You know, the one that has the parents, Mary, Joseph, who looked after us when we were kids. We've gone to school with him. We have attended church with him. Now, he says, I am the bread of life. Ah, there is a voice of reason coming out of, the out of the crowd. Now, I don't know, I cannot tell you why this passage comes halfway through what we are studying this month. And it is halfway through the chapter. But I believe it is here for a reason. I believe it is put here to give us a chance to really think about what we are talking about. It is a pause in the teaching, as it were. It causes us to say, wait a minute, what is Jesus talking about? So, let's look at where we have been so far. First, Reverend Kristen talked with us about Jesus feeding the masses, the multitudes, with a miracle. We all know that miracle, right? Then she said that the miracle was actually in discerning the need and thirst and then providing for it. Now then last week, she talked about the fact that too many are looking for that 
feeling that the bread first brought. Remember? That being full feeling, feel good feeling. And then being full, we stop paying attention. We stop discerning any need at all for ourselves or anyone else. At least until we get hungry again. And now this week, we get the same statement from Jesus. I am the bread of life. Is anyone else confused? I am. I want to now go back to what the lawyer was saying. This is Jesus, the guy we grew up with. Remember, we know his parents, we know his brothers. To help you to understand what this person is saying, I want to fill in a little history for you. Back then, Jesus and these people were all under the rule of the Romans. And Jesus grew up, along with everyone else there, believing and being told that someone was going to come to save them from the Romans. And you can imagine the televangelists coming out of the woodwork of that day who were saying that they were the ones who were the savior. And so here these people are, faced with someone they actually know and grew up with, also saying that he has some kind of answer. I want you to take a minute, think about some of the people that you grew up with, some of the people that you played with in your yard or in their yard, that perhaps you went to school with and even went to church with. Perhaps they're even sitting beside you in the pew. Now, imagine, what if one of them came to you and said, I am the bread of life, follow me. Would you not say, and I want you to be truthful, would you not say, wow, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Are you taking your meds? <laughs> I know you and your family. You can't fool me. Look at what Sarah Miles said. And I want to say he read it so eloquently, but I must say it again just for emphasis. But eating the body of Christ? Drinking his blood? That was too much. My own prejudices rose in me. Ignorant about the whole historical sweep of Christianity, I had no particular affection for this figure named Jesus. No echo of childhood friendly feeling for the guy with the beard and the robes. If I had ever suspected that there was such a force as God, mysterious, invisible, silent as light, in the words of an old hymn, I had not bothered to name it. 
much less eat it. For crying out loud, I certainly had never considered that this force could be identical with a particular Palestinian Jew from Nazareth. So, here we are again. What kind of bread is this? For the people listening to Jesus, I hope you see that this was a hard thing for them to wrap their minds around, as we say today. It was also hard to, to even believe it. For Sarah Miles, it certainly was hard to understand what this whole body thing was all about, and then to believe it. So what, what are we to do? Let's look at what else the passage says. And I'm thinking about after this guy starts saying, wait a minute, we know Jesus. We grew up with him. Jesus tells the people, stop grumbling. Stop complaining. He wanted them to focus. He wanted them to pay attention. And that's what he wants us to do. And then, he says in our passage something even more confusing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Now, can you imagine what that lawyer is thinking about this statement? Especially if I tell you, as a Hebrew scholar, that the word draws is really more truly translated as to be dragged. This <laughs> gives us the English interpretation, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags them. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You have to be truthful with me. I think this is where, you know the phrase, having a come to Jesus meeting? I think it's that kind of dragging that we're talking about. Perhaps this is getting at what we are to do. Now let's look at Sarah Miles. If you haven't read the book yet, it's an easy read, it's a fast read, and it's an incredible story. And it's about a woman, as she says, she had no inkling of Jesus or God or anything like that. She went to war-ravaged areas in the world. She was a journalist. She was not a Jesus freak, okay? In, in those days, they had Jesus freaks, so. She was not, what are you laughing at? You're not old <laughs> enough to know that. <laughs> Sarah Miles, as she describes it herself, was brought, or even she would say dragged, from the life that she was living to San Francisco. And then, even more miraculously, she found herself at a church. She was not a church person. I, you have to take it from me if you, if you haven't read the book. 
And she was being called to a church which, is, which was actually calling her to recognize her bread of life. She did finally recognize her call and her bread of life, but she had to be dragged there first. And even more importantly, she had to also be willing to be dragged there. There's a distinction. Do you get it? She had to be willing to be dragged there. Now, last week, Reverend Kristen told us that it was not easy to allow Jesus to be our bread of life. Do you remember that? She said we cannot rely on our own understanding, but that we have to be willing to be open to an incredibly impossible notion of God being inside of us. For me, I can tell you, it was not easy to allow Jesus to be my bread of life. As I said, I was dragged kicking and screaming all the way across the country from San Diego to Washington, D.C. And I can tell you that the driving in Washington, D.C. is even worse than here. I was living there in San Diego, happy as a clam, the most beautiful place there is on earth as far as I was concerned. But I ended up back in West by God, Virginia. I spent the last months of my mother's life after my father died, learning a love that we had for each other that existed outside of her Alzheimer's condition. It was an unconditional love that was way beyond any of the harsh things that she would sometimes say or bizarre behaviors that she would display. I was able to recognize in her for the first time in my entire life that God was dwelling within her and that same God was dwelling in me. And I was filled with a level of compassion which I did not know that I had had. And I was able to be with her and help her live her last months of life. I would not trade that experience for anything. I was shown a way to connect the dots between us, like I had never been shown before. I believe I was recognizing the bread of life that we shared, and that was to be shared with others. I had allowed as impossible as it seemed for Jesus to work within me, to guide me, and yes, Feed me. And he did it to the point that I could be with my mother and share her life 
with her to the very end. It was soon after that that I went to seminary, and then I began training to be a chaplain. And time and time again, Jesus works within me to be able to recognize that bread of life in me, connecting with that of another. And it is a most awesome experience to step into that space. Only then am I able to discern the need that is there, both for me and for the other. And I truly believe that this experience is available for all to have. You do not have to be a lawyer, God knows. You do not have to be a chaplain. This is the bread of life from which we cannot die. However, there's always a however, isn't there? There are several things that have to happen that we've already talked about, and I just want to remind you. First, like the people with Jesus, who had grown up with him and knew his family, like Sarah Miles, who never even thought about God or Jesus, We have to get over ourselves. Like with the Mickey Mouse tie, we have to remember that we're not perfect, are we? Okay. Like Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. For if we do not stop grumbling or stop thinking about ourselves, we cannot hear what else might be happening around us and in us. Secondly, here's the hard part, and we've already talked about it, so you won't be surprised. We have to be open to the possibility of God dragging us out of our complacency, out of our easy lives, out of our petty lives, or just being concerned about ourselves. So many times in the hospital, I meet with patients who have been dragged out of their complacency. They find themselves in a situation where they never would have believed themselves to be. In that space, we, being me and they, connect the dots. So you might want to be alert to when God is trying to get your attention, because God will get you. Finally, once God has gotten your attention, be open to what and where God is directing you. Know that the bread of life does not work in a vacuum. Be willing to see and connect with the bread of life in others, and then, Be willing to step into that space and act within that space. The possibilities are enormous. Before I close, I would like for us each to do something for those around us. I would like for you, it's not hard, so don't get excited or anything. 
I would like for you to turn to the person next to you and if you would say to them, the bread of life in me recognizes the bread of life in you. and allow it to be said to you. Do you hear it? Today I challenge you, as you come forward to receive communion, to consider that this bread that we are receiving is indeed a shared bread, and that it is for each of us to recognize that bread of life in each other and then to work together to feed and to be fed. Amen. Please join me in a congregational response. 